Our New Testament reading this morning is from the book of Acts, the second chapter. May God bless to us the reading of God's word. Now when all of the persons who Peter was preaching to on the street following the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple and broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. <clears throat> Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer, we pray. Amen. So this Sunday and the week after next Sunday, I'm going to preach a couple of sermons on the church. This week, three thoughts about how the church or what the church should do for us or to us. The next time, three thoughts about what the church should do and be for the world. This week, I'm instructed by that first description of the early church that we find in the book of Acts, just read to you, how it started and what it did, and what we can learn from how Luke describes the first church. Now, after 2,000 years or so, I'm not saying that we are called to be that church, or even we could if we wanted to. But we are called to sort out what the core of all of that might mean for us. So for today, for February 6th, 2022, the fifth Sunday of what the traditional church calls ordinary time, here is what this preacher gets from that part of the story of the first church about what we can learn about what the church does at its best. 
So one, the church doesn't just sit and wait. The church intrudes, not violently, not hurtfully, but it still leans toward us in conviction and confidence. The church, after all, was founded by Peter preaching out on the street. It was Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had come among the disciples who were afraid and alone and filled them with power, and they went out and they were making fools of themselves, telling the story and making a claim. And some folks heard and caught the logic of what Peter was saying and wanted to know more, and they asked Peter. And Peter's response was not a gentle invitation to add a little value to their lives by affiliating with the institution and coming by once in a while. His response intruded on the lives of his hearers. Wake up! Change! Join in! Come along! Be baptized! This was absolute confidence that what he had to offer had something that was true in it for everyone. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls, the scripture says. Part of our task is to reason together about what that promise is that we have for the world. And after 2,000 years, we still have some work to do on that. But that does not mean that we're here to be timid. The church interrupts life. And thank God it does. None of us, not one of us, would be believers today if someone sometime, maybe generations ago or maybe just yesterday, wasn't bold enough or even brash enough to tell God's story and expect people to catch it and believe it. We put crosses on the top of our buildings we ring bells, we make claims, we preach, we act, and we tell the story. We just need to tell the story faithfully, not from ego or panic or to get power, but from faith and love and confidence in the God who claims us. Oh, the God who claims us. The God who enters our lives, not overpowering, but still nagging, nudging, buttonholing us, lifting us up and reminding us that Christ has something to say about our lives, even when we might try in all kinds of little and big ways to run away. God in Scripture is even called jealous. Now, I grew up in a church in which there was still, even at the time of my childhood, a custom in the church of unannounced visitation. 
Now, during these days in, in which we live in a world in which I have to call ahead to in, get permission to oftentimes go through a gate to get to your home, not everyone, but some of you, or in a time when we actually text each other to get permission to call each other, the idea of an unannounced visit is suddenly become odd and strange, and yet it was for generations, generations, even centuries upon centuries, the essential tool of care in the church. I remember the pastor showing up and knocking the door, and my mother saying, what in the world is he doing here? <laughs> she opens the door, says, uh, we're in the middle of dinner right now, and he says, I'm so sorry, but I just wanted to check and see if you're okay. And there's a nod and a gracious hello, and God has interrupted. The old practice of visitation was a little way in which members of churches were reminded that God may show up, any, not that the pastor's God, but that God may show up anytime and intrudes upon our lives because we are committed and devoted to each other. So watch out. We don't do that anymore, but... We've lost something in not doing that. In our tradition, this is so important that we insist that God's grace comes before any one of us decides to look up and pay attention to it. God makes faith possible because God intrudes upon nothing to create something. God enters doubt to sow trust. God confronts fear to offer love and touches us before we ever reach back. When I was teaching preaching, I used to have an exercise for young preachers in which I would literally ask them when they preached their sermon to stand on their tiptoes for the entire time if they could possibly do it. To get the physical feeling of leaning in to have a sense that something is about to happen at all times, because that's the nature of the gospel. We are on our tiptoes. That's why you ought to come to church expecting something to happen. Stand on your tiptoes when you rise up. Feel it in your bones when you're assured of forgiveness. Lose your breath when you pass the peace. Pray for each one of those children on the steps. Open your heart as you breathe deep to sing. Take a second or two of silence to take it in after the anthem. Expect God to teach you even through even the most imperfect sermons. Turn with excitement when you hear the charge at the end of the service. And smile when you hear that someone changed their mind or change their direction, or change their life in even the smallest of ways because of church. Let the church intrude on your life. And the second word, let the church introduce. For that's why it intrudes. Here's what I mean by that. The church is meant to be a context, a world, a bunch of rituals and activities and projects and relationships that are shaped to help us encounter the spirit of Christ. The church introduces us 
to Jesus. That's a high bar. And as soon as I say that, I think of so many ways in which we fail that. But that doesn't mean the promise is fake. That is still the promise that we want to trust. The church should point. It should testify. It should create space to allow God to work. But we don't complete the work. God does. We don't win the day. God does. And the point is for God's spirit to move us. So if I have ever told you the whole story, I've told you too much. Because the story points to a loving, living, mysterious, healing, enlivening, saving Christ who is more than I know of him and more than the church knows of him. We're told in those few verses that you heard read that all those folks who came on board that first day devoted themselves to baptism, to study, and to the breaking of bread and prayers, which were the ways they were introduced to Christ. So the church intrudes. The church introduces. And so another I word, the church inspires. The church inspires. You heard the verse, awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Awe of welcoming that intrusion and experiencing that introduction. Awe of mission and that affects the lives of others. Awe of saying yes and finding that life has more meaning now. Awe of sensing, even when it's hard, something, something beyond us. Awe of feeling a part of a life-giving, love-inspiring story that is larger than your own life, and so is as humbling as it is awesome. Awe of realizing that you have it in you to wait and let it come when it will. And more. For the better parts of the church's life, even with all the problems and challenges that we face every day, are still listed in that passage from Acts. All who believed, it says, were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. We are inspired to be generous, to be caring, to be together, to want to bless others and to welcome folks who will come along with us. The church should help us see our lives in light of a different kind of logic and a different kind of dream and a different kind of strength than what we can conjure up on our own. The church should encourage us to both awe and action. It should inspire us. Now, 
No congregation can do that as well as it should. And we betray that promise certainly as often, if not more often, than we meet it. But there are traces. There are hints. And there are moments when something inside each one of us, by God's grace, says, ah, now that was church. I got the card in the mail one afternoon. It was just a small postcard from someone who I hadn't heard from in years. She was a cherished member of the first congregation that I was privileged to serve in Wilmette, Illinois. More than one generation of her family had made their home and their faith in that good congregation. She was quiet, steady, with a kind disposition. She, um, she was not boisterous. She was not in charge. She was not out front. She was young when I knew her, but a bit older when I got the card. Right on the top of this card, simply said that she had been challenged in a class to recognize how the church had shaped her and how her faith had grown. And then underneath that brief explanation was just a phrase. Thank you. I was stunned because I had really not known her for very long or for a very long period. But I was also touched. And I found myself, like her, grateful for church. Grateful for the point of it all. For the saints who do their best to make it church. For the spirit who forgives and perfects and works through it all. Intruding on our lives, introducing us to Christ, and inspiring us to faithful living. And that's church. Amen.